Today is Tuesday, February 16th. The title for our devotional is Christian Living in a Secular Culture. Yesterday, we saw the basis for Christian living being to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. Then Paul talks about what God's will is for Christians living in community with one another who have had their minds transformed. Today, he talks about how Christians should interact with the hostile culture they are living in. The historical context here is really important. In 49 AD, Emperor Claudius kicked the Jews out of Rome because of a controversy revolving around Jesus Christ. Most likely, the Jews were arguing about Jesus being the Messiah and getting a bit unruly. Nero, the following emperor after Claudius, then allowed the Jews to return to Rome. But you can imagine the animosity the Jews and Jewish Christians felt towards the Roman authorities. Imagine being uprooted from your home, your job, your friendships, and forced by the government to leave. Then, upon your return, you are expected to pay heavy taxes. The Roman historian Tacitus tells us that in AD 57 or 58, Nero was considering repealing indirect taxes on goods because the people were complaining about the exorbitant amount. He ultimately decided against it, which I'm sure made the people even more angry. So it's in that context... Remember, the emperor here is Nero, who in a few short years will be burning Christians in the city to light up the night and feeding them to lions in the Colosseum. Paul writes this in Romans 12, 14 through 13, 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. 
the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because your salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. The first thing we must do when we approach Romans 13, and any text for that matter, is consider the historical context and textual context in which the passage was written. Romans 13, 1-7, which is the longest and most specific teaching in the New Testament on how Christians ought to interact with the state, is not an isolated thesis in the church's relationship to the state. It is in the broader context of how Christians should interact with the culture they live in, which is characterized by peacemaking, as is seen in Romans 12, 14-21, and love, as is seen in Romans 13, 8-10. The general structure of the text is as follows. First, the general call to bless, be humble, and pursue peace. That's 12, 14 through 21. Second, to be subject to the governing authorities and pay taxes. That's 13, 1 through 7. And then three, only owe one another love because it is the fulfillment of the law. That is 13, 8 through 10. So that's the textual context. In the historical context, remember, it is clear that the church was wrestling with whether or not they should obey the state specifically whether or not they should pay taxes. Remember, they were expelled from Rome and later allowed to return, and in returning, expected to pay a heavy tax. Paul's response is to pay their taxes, all of them, and submit to the governing authorities. Some see here a simply pragmatic approach, that is, Paul's only reason for requiring obedience is because the Romans would crush the fledgling Jesus movement if they were too much of a problem. This, however, seems to be more rooted in wishful thinking and attempts to justify positions external to biblical theology. The basis for the church's submission to governing authorities, Paul says, is found in the truth that God has given them authority. That is an unchanging principle. The case for civil obedience, and disobedience for that matter, is found in Paul's basis for his argument. His basis for submitting to the governing authorities is ultimately found in God. Those governments and leaders ultimately have authority because God, as the sovereign authority of the universe, has given it to them. Not that they will always do what he wants, that is punish evil and reward good, but he has willed them to come to power, and when he could have done otherwise. Since God is the ultimate authority, and the governing authorities have their authority rooted in God's will, we should submit to them. That's Paul's argument. However, since God is the ultimate authority, we serve a higher authority in God's law. Therefore, in cases where the governing authorities are demanding Christians disobey the law of God, Christians are justified in civil disobedience. So, if our government passes a law that requires us to violate the dignity of another image-bearer of God, Christians are justified in civil disobedience 
Or, as is the case with Paul, if the governing officials arrest you for preaching Jesus in obedience with the command of Jesus, Christians are not obligated to comply. See Acts 5.29 for an example of that. But, as is the case in the context at Rome during Paul's writings, high taxes is not a cause for civil disobedience. High taxes does not violate the law of God in any way. So Christians are obligated to comply, even though they are very upset by this. Interestingly, in verse 5, Paul makes the argument that this mindset of Christians is not merely a matter of avoiding consequences. He says not only to avoid God's wrath, but as a matter of conscience. So submitting to governing authorities is not just a pragmatic thing, as we've discussed previously. Paul believes submitting to governing authorities should be a matter of conscience for Christians. That is, it is just the right thing to do. In this passage, we see principles that have been very applicable to today and throughout history, especially this year. The pandemic and government responses to the pandemic have brought about many accusations of government overreach and justifications for civil disobedience. I wrestled with this a good bit at the beginning of the pandemic, but have since concluded that Christians are only justified in civil disobedience when the government is requiring us to do something that is contrary to the clear teachings of Scripture. That statement, taken broadly by itself, as a principle, is likely one that few Christians would disagree with. But when applied in practice, Christians have struggled to live in the truth of this principle. When I preached on this text a few weeks back, I know many people were not happy with me. Not with my interpretation of the text, I received no challenges to that, just to how we should live and act now in light of this text. You likely know where I'm going with this, but I'm going to let you think through the principle and apply it. If this is true, how should we live in light of it in the current climate? I think this topic represents a symptom of a much deeper issue in the soul of the Christian church. If scripture is truly our source for truth and practice, we must conform our thinking and living to what we see in scripture even when we don't like it, and when it goes against another, more secondary ideology that we hold. Truth and morality are absolute, and they are primarily found in Scripture. When the truth of Scripture clashes with our thinking or behavior, which one bends? For Christians who have offered themselves as a living sacrifice and been transformed by the renewing of their minds to know God's will, it is their thinking and behavior that must bend to the Word of God. Anything else is indicative of being conformed to the pattern of this world. For reflection time today, how do you approach the reading of Scripture? Do you view it as an encouragement to what you are already doing? Or do you view it as a standard to challenge your thinking and behavior? Do you look to Scripture just to prove what you already are thinking and doing as right? When was the last time you were confronted with a truth of Scripture that required you to change your behavior or thinking? Scripture should both encourage and challenge us. We should constantly be wrestling with the truth of Scripture and seeking to conform our lives to the truth that we find there. 